0: you catch that refrain over and over again? And could you identify with it? It is. It's hard. It is hard to be a Christian because there's something by nature of it that makes you different, that makes you odd, that makes you stand out, that makes you as such that you just don't fit in the groove of what many people around you seem to be in. And as much as we like to celebrate our differences and our uniqueness, the reality is, haven't you found that deep within your psyche you just want to fit in? You don't want to be noticed. You don't want to stick out. You don't want to be judged or ridiculed or critiqued. You just want to be someone who's accepted out there. And it makes doing this Christian thing really, really hard. This past February, in December, in November, and I guess January was in there too, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. And what we've been seeing is that it's all about an invasion. Yes, it's a biography of Jesus. Yes, it has teachings of Jesus. Yes, it's the story of his life, but it's about something more than that. If you've been with us, you you might remember this. If you're new with us, key in on this right now because it'll revolutionize the way that you read the Gospels in the Bible. The Gospel according to Mark is so much more than a biography of Jesus. It is the story of an invasion, literally of God's invasion into this world where God is trying to bring his kingdom to this earth. One of the key lines that stands out of the gospel that really marks and identifies what Jesus' ministry and mission and purpose and self-identity was all about was this, when he would go around saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is upon you. Or in the more contemporary translations, it's in your face. It's bearing down on you. So repent. And believe the gospel, believe the royal proclamation. It's the story of how God, through Jesus, is assaulting this world, invading this world with his kingdom, trying to bring his goodness and his will and his way as it's done in heaven. Here to this place that's so mired in brokenness, suffering, tyranny slavery. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what I want you to do this morning is pause on that because it implies something. If God is bringing a kingdom from heaven here, it implies, doesn't it, that his kingdom is not here That what exists here is actually something very different, of a different sort, a different kingdom. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, at some level you can say God reigns over all, and yet his will doesn't seem to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you agree? And so the metaphor that the Bible will set up is that God's kingdom in heaven is not a kingdom established in this place where God's will, God's reign, God's rule is happening. No, that we live in a different kingdom, occupied country, if you will and that we live as Christians, as people with loyalties to one kingdom that are different than the kingdom we find ourselves habitating in. Are you with me? And there's a word for this, and it's right there. Expatriate. If you don't know the word, let me just walk you through the definition if you missed it in the video. An expatriate is a person who lives outside their native country. I'll give you some examples. I think of Chris and Heather. I can't use their last name because this is being recorded. They live in Istanbul. They're there doing ministry work. And I can't use a different M word instead. They're there doing ministry work among Muslims who are fleeing many war-torn places in the Middle East and trying to find resettlement in Europe, the States, Australia, and Canada. Chris and Heather are expatriates. They're people of this nation living in another nation. And oftentimes they're doing ministry among other expatriates who are leaving their nations trying to resettle in different ones of their own. Are you with me? I think of our student ministry pastor, Jason Weber. Don't know if you realize this, but Jason, an American citizen from the time he was born, spent his entire childhood living in Hong Kong, both under British rule and Chinese rule back when that transition happened. He was an expatriate, one whose loyalties, allegiances, connection was to the U.S., but nonetheless lived outside his native country. Maybe you've been able to experience this. And I don't mean you took vacation in like Cabo for a week or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But maybe you've lived somewhere outside your native country. There's a word for this. It's not a church word. Expatriate. I want you to take that word and use it as a metaphor. And I want you to apply it to our situation as Christians today. Because an expatriate is also this. It's a Christian this side of eternity. Because as a Christian, you live outside your native land. You live outside of the kingdom or the government, if I can use a more contemporary term, to which you belong and owe Allegiance. I love what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. He writes this in in this cool little letter called Philippians. Paul, a Roman citizen, writes this Our citizenship is in heaven. If I was to ask you, where are you a citizen? Chances are for ninety five percent of us here today you'd say the states. And the other 5% would say maybe some other country that you have your citizenship in. But Paul has a different way of viewing things. He goes, no. No, I'm of the kingdom of God. See, I'm part of God's rule and reign. Fundamentally, that's where my allegiance is. Fundamentally, that's where I derive my identity. Fundamentally, that's where I plant my feet as a Christian. Whatever other nations you might be a citizen of, fundamentally, You're a citizen of heaven, the kingdom of heaven that God is seeking to make reality in this world. I want to read the passage in deeper fullness to you. This is what he says, join with others. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern. What pattern? The pattern of the kingdom of God, of a citizenship in heaven. Take note of the pattern that we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame their mind is on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus the king who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will become like our his glorious body our citizenship is in heaven. And the point that Paul is not trying to make is let's get out of here. Let's just wait around and hurry up and die and get back to our homeland. Well, I've got bad news for you if that's your hope. The kingdom of God is coming here. So you're going to miss it on the way. No, he's saying something else instead. What he's talking about is allegiances. Identity the way that you think about yourself and that you pattern yourself. Do you live as just another person, he's saying, who finds their identity in the things of earth? Or do you find yourself as someone whose allegiances and identity are found in the kingdom of heaven? Which means, if we do, you and I are expatriates. We are citizens of a kingdom living here in this world outside of our native land. And you talk to any expatriate, and that ain't easy. It comes with its own unique sets of challenges. And the challenges only compound the more different and hostile the culture of the place that you're living in might be from the place from which you have come. These are the questions and issues expatriates have to wrestle with all the time. How about this? How much patriotism do I show? How much do I talk about my homeland, flaunt my homeland, wear my homeland on my sleeves, or how much do I just try to become invisible and fit in to the culture where I live? I remember when I had a chance with my wife to go to Turkey a few years back, which as the Middle East goes, is about as safe as you're going to get. I remember going there And having to make these conscious decisions when I packed, do I bring that T-shirt I like that has the American flag on it? And if I do, do I wear it around on the street when we're out in the markets or do I just wear it in the hotel when I'm sleeping at night? You know what I mean? These are the kind of questions, yes, I remember I got into conversations because one thing is true of Americans throughout the world. No matter what you do, you stick out. I remember we'd get into conversations with people. They would notice me. And Tina, and you get the proverbial question, of course, where are you from? And you have this moment, just this moment, especially a few years back when things were more tense, a little more hostile, when Turkey had just come through a nationalistic coup. Saying things like this, I come from Chicago, which is kind of true because people even around here don't know where Hebron is <laughs> but you think about why I did it it's a little bit different than saying I'm from the US or the United States how much do you own your homeland as an expatriate, when you find yourselves living in a different culture? And how much do you acclimate? To what degree is acclimation good and healthy? When in Rome, right? And how much of it does it start to flirt or border on disloyalty, disallegiance, or the projection of an embarrassment or shame instead of standing by the country you love? How much do you try to maintain your own distinctives? Your homeland's distinctives, your culture, your way of thinking and talking, and how much do you leave those things aside to pick up the distinctives of the place in which you live? At what point does maintaining your distinctives become arrogance or foolish pride or stubbornness? taking a stand for stand's sake to show everyone who I am, as opposed to just being gracious to the country that's hosting you. And what do you do when the customs and cultures and even laws of the country you're living in stand in conflict to the values and ways of thinking and even laws of the country you come from? you fly under the radar? Do you go with the flow? Do you disobey? And what do you do when it starts to get noticed? Even hostile, when from a grassroots level among the local nationals or in a more formalized governmental way, They begin to press you, push you, bribe you, woo you, threaten you, or persecute you. These are questions that expatriates have had to face as long as they've existed. And I want you to take that same set of questions now that same metaphor and apply it to the reality of what it means to be a Christian from the citizenship of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, living in this world, whatever the culture or country might be today. To what degree do you own and flaunt your citizenship of heaven? How much do you wear your Jesus clothes and talk about Jesus and the kingdom of God and the place where your joy and loyalty is really at and how much do you just seek to fit in to the culture you find yourself in? How much do you acclimate and at what point does acclimation honor God or start to breach into levels of disloyalty? Disingenuineness, even shame or embarrassment about being identified or associated with him. How much do you demand Christian principles? And at what point does it become obstinacy, stubborn pride, and lack of compassion or sensitivity? From the world that's hosting you? Or at what point does loyalty to the homeland demand I stand strong? And where's your heart? What do you love? What do you find? Because expatriates struggle with this too. Forgetting where I've come from. And the love from there waning with distance. Falling in love instead with the place where I now am. Live? And how do you keep that fire alive despite the fact that you've come to enjoy and embrace this world in which you live? And what do you do when the culture around you and even the laws demand things of you or pressure you or incentivize you to things that are in conflict with the values? beliefs, or even commands of the King Jesus to whom our allegiance ultimately belongs. Make no mistake, Christians for centuries have been struggling with what it means to be kingdom of heaven expatriates living in the world today. And if there's anything I want you to take away from this... It's that being a Christian is hard. And so if you're struggling with it, I've got encouragement to you. You're in good company. And I know that doesn't sound like encouragement. But I want you to let you know that you're not weird. Well, you are. (laughs) But not because of that. And you're not alone. No, being a Christian is... Hard. The Bible is filled with examples of the struggle of Christian expatriates. I think of Daniel living in Babylon, trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Yahweh in that culture. I think of Esther, a Jew, living in Persia, trying to figure out what it means to be faithful in that culture. I think of the disciples of Jesus following him, trying to figure out what it means to be Jesus' followers in the Judean culture. I think of the book of Revelation, which is nothing more than a big novelized version of the struggle of Christian expatriates living in empire, the Roman one, which both sought to threaten them and woo them at the exact same time, to acclimate to the belief system and values and ways of being of the world in which they live and i think of christians throughout history and every culture and every time and every place struggling in the exact same ways how do i do this lord how do i live as a citizen of your kingdom in this place make no mistake that's hard It's filled with challenge and oftentimes uncertainty, laying before us questions that which we don't have easy answers for, trying to draw on the wisdom of God and the loyalty of God, while at the same time being a blessing and a light in the culture in which we live. Make no mistake, Jesus said this would be hard. It's the great irony, maybe the paradox of christianity that god gives you citizenship in heaven freely free to you that is you know you don't have a 10 year waiting period you don't have to give military service first you don't have to prove your loyalty you don't have to come in with a squeaky clean record or a clean bill of health, or a skill that you can bring. No, 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 no. Jesus opens the borders to the kingdom of heaven far and wide, saying, all are welcome in, and I give it to you. Be a citizen of my kingdom. But once you are, and loyalties are given, the way of living the kingdom of heaven is hard, and it'll cost you. Jesus will even warn those who seek to start following him that it will cost you everything. What did he say to his disciples and the crowd in the Gospel of Mark? Do you remember this? If anyone would follow me, he must deny himself. No, you got to take up your cross because my kingdom is about suffering. My kingdom is about dying. My kingdom is about modeling your life after me, Jesus says. I picked up a cross. That means you'll have to too. No, make no mistake, this is hard stuff. It will cost you. Following Jesus can cost you everything. Anyone who seeks to save his life will lose it. Jesus said, His words, not mine. But whoever loses his life for me and my royal proclamation, he says, We'll find it. Which, of course, makes you go, like, so I do this to begin with. What, 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 well, to keep going with what Jesus said, because what does it gain a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his soul? That what's found in citizenship in heaven is by far worth the realities and the struggles it will bring. What they do to me, Jesus said, they'll do to you. A servant is not above his master. Blessed are you, Jesus said, when, not if, they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Isn't that the stupidest thing you've ever heard? Rejoice and be glad. No expatriate has ever rejoiced or have been glad in situations like that, but Jesus is different. Rejoice and be glad, he says, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets and those who have gone before you. And Christians have been walking that path ever since. I try to think about what it would be like sometimes living as an expatriate in the most harsh of climates, what it would have been like being Dutch or French, living in Nazi-occupied World War II, in your homeland, but under the authority and regime of a usurping power. I think this amazing woman who comes to this church, Carla Chandler, who does this one-woman reenaction of Corrie ten Boom, who was a Christian Dutch woman living in Nazi-occupied Netherlands during that time. Hiding Jews and seeking the protection of life for those for whom that regime was clamping down, trying to walk the way of Jesus as a political expatriate of her homeland in many ways and as a spiritual one I think of her story and the suffering and the concentration camp and the things she faced to stay loyal to a citizenship in heaven. I think of another man. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German nationalist, a German citizen in World War II. He fled Germany and came to the States when he saw what was happening under Hitler in the 30s but was so convicted by it and by the plight of what he thought god was calling him to do among his own people that he went back into the fray this pastor theologian turned spy and finally martyr gave his life and he has a quote that he wrote near the end of it that I just want to leave with you. Where he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what he calls us to. To. Now being a Christian is hard. And this Lent, what we're going to do is just talk kind of honestly about that, the challenges that we face, the the struggles that we have in the midst of it, the, the questions that I think we wrestle with at times. Is this worth it? We'll have to give you some skills to better learn what it means to be a Christian expatriate so that when those times of struggles do come, those questions do arise, you're not left there in the moment without an idea of what to do. You're not left in a position betraying or falling away. For those of you who don't consider yourself Christian, you know, my hope is if you stick with us for these next several weeks... That it's a window into what we who are Christians believe. Not because we think we're better or not in some kind of empire-driven, imperialistic, triumphant kind of cultural superior way. No, just because we're trying to figure out what it means to live the way of Jesus with full integrity and honesty and commitment. And the world today. And we hope that by it you hear his invitation too. Because what we believe is that God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. Because it's an amazing kingdom to be a part of. And that through it you'll find a sense of growing interest. Curiosity maybe. Dare I say maybe even loyalty or, 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 or gravitation to it. we'll, We'll give you tools. We'll walk through it. This is what stands before us. The life of a Christian from the kingdom of heaven living in the world today. And as we sunset this moment right now may God encourage you, convict you, show himself to you and reawaken a loyalty and a love for him in here and an intentionality to live genuinely as a person of his kingdom in whatever cultural situation you find yourself in today. That's where we're going. We hope you join us on the journey.